2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on a musical adventure.
3: They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, Matt, as everyone who tuned into our live show has already learned. Yes. uh, Congratulations are due to you, my old friend. You have made it. 10 years, right? You That's had a right. 10 year anniversary. Oh, man. It,
2: it was huge. Mm. It was really great. And honestly, I couldn't be happier.
3: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, someone also recently asked us I don't know uh, whether you saw this uh, about uh, the age of stuff they don't want you to know going back to the YouTube days. You know, I think we're.
2: Ten, maybe eleven. At this point,
3: are we ten, maybe eleven? Yeah, years we're in old? between. Yeah, that's crazy. So that means that this show started around the time you got married.
2: That's right. It was part of my vows. Uh, <laughs> I made vows to my wife and to to you guys.
3: <laughs> oh wow, weird. Yep, that explains a lot. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. We uh we are having. A uh, great though busy time here at the Top Secret Stuff They Don't Want you know, Studio uh, with it a publicly available address uh, because we're traveling a lot. We're mm-hmm. making some waves and we're still – we're still delving into new and strange things at least as far as this show is concerned because one of the new and strange things that we're delving into today is a very, very old thing. We are delving into the story of some of the legitimately oldest conspiracy theories in human history. Not just written history. Not just oral history. The capital H whole thing. Today's episode, you see, is about religion. Before the dawn of recorded history, this has been one of humanity's most inspiring, divisive, and— if we are being brutally honest, dangerous debates.
2: Oh, absolutely. And just to put this out there, as we do every time we talk about something like this, we at this show will never tell you what to believe or what not to believe. That is your own thing. What we will do is discuss a lot of these things. And Dan, if you're listening and driving to work, uh, that means you.
3: Oh, that's right. Yes. Thank you so much, Dan Harmon. We do have eyes and ears scattered around various places in the English-speaking world. Uh, we, we appreciate we appreciate your time. Did you get a chance to listen to that clip, Matt? I
2: did. I really hope uh... – he doesn't feel too bad about listening to this show after after talking about it openly.
3: <laughs> well, I want to point out also – also, I, I would hope this is abundantly clear to anyone listening to the show. We're not Nazis nor do we identify with or give any consideration to uh, categorically any ideas of racial or religious supremacy – that sort of stuff is is just the the lowest form of thinking, you know what I mean?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know with that with that said, it was really cool to 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 hear our show spoken by somebody that uh, you know we, we genuinely appreciate his work so.
3: Thanks. Oh, yeah. And I respected a uh, brilliant writer and uh, unfailingly honest, too, which is a rare commodity in these our modern days. Here's here's hoping the best we can hope now, Matt, is that we do not get uh, ruthlessly lampooned on some episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, oh, or should we? Nah, we hope that? Either way. What a what a way to go. And I like that. We're also we're also being careful to talk about avoiding uh, prejudices and discriminations (laughs) as we enter into one of the most discriminatory and prejudiced parts of the human experience. Religion. Yeah. You know, what would the— What if— If we were trying to sell religion to some extraterrestrial species or someone who had somehow never heard of it, the taglines are, you know, there's a multitude of them, but they're also pretty distressing. Again, if we're being honest, religion, uh, you know, and the byline is a lot of good people died.
2: And an uncountable number of people have died over the years because of persecution by varying uh, sects of religion. But— You know, that doesn't mean it's all bad, right?
3: Sure. Yeah. While there is no way to estimate how many people have died due to religious conflicts over the course of this strange experiment we call the human species, there's also no way to estimate how many people have been physically saved by another person's religious principles. You know, someone has their finger on the button for a bomb or their finger on the trigger of a gun and all of a sudden there's some sort of distant echo in internal monologue in their head saying, thou shalt not something something. And yeah. they say, I will not be a force of evil today.
2: Or just by the simple kind words of one person to another that, mm-hmm. that saved the life of another or, you know, giving the giving of food or the selflessness that exists in, sure. in many, if not most,
3: religions. Sure, yeah. In a very real way, spiritual beliefs uh, taught empathy to many people. There you go. However... Knowing that we cannot estimate the number of people who died and we cannot estimate the number of people who were saved physically again, not spiritually, uh, we can sadly and tragically safely assume that the number of people who died due to religion far outweighs the number of people who were saved due to a religion. Yeah. So far. You know what I mean? Maybe 2020 will be the big year for all of us. Yeah.
2: Well, we also can't continue without – stating the fairly obvious but maybe something we don't think about very often mm-hmm. is that religion can be used as a, contr- a control structure for the masses, uh, a control
3: structure for the mind essentially. An opiate of the masses? Yeah. As I mean, the quote goes. Yeah. I mean it
2: can be used in those ways. It, if wielded uh, – it's, it's tough to even talk about a lot of times because if wielded by an improper power or by a, a power or someone with intentions to do so – It's possible at least.
3: I'm going to say that – I'm going to take it a little bit further. Maybe you and I differ here, which is fine. I am going to argue that uh, at least from a social perspective or a sociological perspective, all religion is a means of controlling a group of people. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad way to control a group of people because there are a lot of ancient texts that have restrictions or constraints that may seem oddly specific, right, Mm -hmm. in the modern day. But if you look at the time in which these were created, a lot of them were things like health code concerns, you know what I mean? It might say, you know, insert God here says not to consume this animal because it's unclean when the reality may have been don't consume this animal because it will give you trichinosis or something and you will die, Yeah, you know? Uh, and same thing with like rules about, hey, don't sleep with your family members, Yeah, because it's it's uh, what's bad for the goose is bad for the gander genetically.
2: Yeah, or even something as as simple as, you know, try not to be jealous of other people, you know, like that. It's it's a simple idea. But if you can encode that in someone, you can probably Mm. make society a little bit better or Mm. at least at large by controlling them.
3: (laughs) Agreed. See, again, uh, it's it's. Uh, rules of the road for for a group to survive in this show we're going to explore the basics of religion as currently understood from an academic and an historical perspective we are not going to make any attempt to proselytize you and we won't we certainly will not uh, try to grade one belief system as better or worse than another Uh, we're not qualified and to be honest there is no one alive or dead who was qualified, is qualified, or will be qualified to do so. Oh, man. I know, I know. Hyperbole, right? And I would be glad to be wrong. If there is someone who who is genuinely some sort of omniscient religious authority, bully for you.
2: I'm pretty sure there's there's at least two people— Somewhere in Arizona that could probably fit
3: that bill. Yes, yes. Write to us, please. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Instead of doing that, instead of, you know, lauding one religion or or, uh, vilifying another or trying to convert you to one of our – Uh, self-manufactured religions we are going to delve headfirst into the one of the strangest longest-running conspiracy theories in history and that is the idea of secret religions here are the facts Okay,
2: so when we're, when we're saying religion, what are we really talking about here? We're just going to hit some of these basic points, right? Sure. Religion we're talking about the worship uh, of a god, some kind of supernatural being, mm-hmm. or a pantheon of beings, uh, gods in that in that case, and, and their ability to exert some kind of power over humans, or, or the earth, or some other physical aspect in that we encounter. Or,
3: the, or your access to the spiritual world, right? Yes, yes, yes. So the Idea there being that there is a God of everything, maybe, right? A Yahweh, or there is a God that controls certain aspects of the world, right? Like a, a Hades right, a yeah. god of the underworld.
2: That's And that's very general, though, because mm-hmm. that doesn't encompass all religions.
3: Right, right. That's the thing. This definition is not entirely correct. Not all religions have what we would recognize as a supreme deity. Some religions just have precepts, like don't kill people because it will make things worse for you, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we have to arrive at a more inclusive definition or maybe more comprehensive definition if we're trying to fit everything that's ever been called a religion into one definition we would say something like religion is a cultural system of practices traditions values and beliefs often accompanied by sacred text locations and rituals that's that's pretty good because it's so damnably broad yeah and this leads us to a huge controversy, a controversy that's probably never going to be solved. Even now, even today, as you listen to this, as we record it in 2019, there is no scholarly agreement over what exactly makes something a religion. Like think of all the things in the world that are not religions but fit that second definition. We're talking about some some nerd fandom, right? Yeah. Uh, watching uh, the people who get together to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, so
2: yeah, some uh, multi-level marketing
3: schemes. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Sports fandom, right? Yeah. This is what we do for our team to increase their chances of getting to the Super Bowl. And people believe in it. I got to wear my green pants or whatever, right?
2: Thou shalt not say uh, that certain play whilst in a theater. Yes,
3: exactly, exactly. (laughs) And – now let's, uh, let's exit stage left, pursued by a bear, okay. uh, to look into the history of religion. How did we get to this crazy place where billions of people around the world are defining their lives and living their lives according to something that billions of other people think is uh, either misguided or inaccurate or complete hogwash? The weird thing is— we've been working on this conundrum for the longest time asking asking where religion begins is a lot like asking who the first person to discover fire was, right? There's not a clear answer. We're not going to find one uh, unless something very surprising happens in today's episode. Uh, The best we can guess is that, again, religion predates the written word and recorded history. At first, that sounds impressive. But written history only really kicks into gear 5,000 years ago or so, which is a drop in the bucket. It's not a long time. Humans were around way before then. It just took us a, a while to start writing things down uh, in full. The oldest known writing currently is a limestone tablet. It's called the Kish Tablet from Sumer. It's around dates back to around thirty five hundred BCE, and it's it's in a weird spot because. If you look at it, it, it's pictograms. It's an assemblage of pictograms, but it represents a, a kind of awkward transition from proto-writing to syllabic writing of what would later be recognized as cuneiform. Mm. So, syllabic writing, of course, is the kind of writing that you would see English rendered into on a page, right? You, yeah. you have different... You have different symbols representing different sounds or groups of sounds, and you arrange them into things. And holy smokes, by golly, by gum, when you pronounce those correctly, they make a spell, the living language.
2: Ooh, right. I love where you took that. I, when you said syllabic writing, in my mind, I really was thinking about the art of chiseling stone tablets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I apologize. That, that's where my brain went.
3: No, but I mean, it, it makes sense, too. I, can you imagine how uh, how frustrated – the authors and the thinkers of old would be with with our creative aptitude today it's so easy to write a book today all you have to do is not get distracted you can get up you can get a pen and a piece of paper for free pretty much uh, yeah but good luck not getting distracted good luck not getting <laughs> distracted yes so that That's where we are. We know this stuff existed forever. And there's some fascinating physiological processes at play in the human mind. From everything we can find, human beings seem hardwired for these sorts of belief structures. And we see this because what we would call religion today likely arose independently in many, many parts of the world and was probably – most often tied to natural cycles of the earth, right? Uh, Crops growing, the harvest season, birth, death, winter, what time is the sun coming up, when's the eclipse, that kind of jazz. And then uh, also in step with that, uh, veneration and fear of the dead, those who have passed beyond. Let's weigh that body down with rocks, but in a respectful manner so they're not pissed at us later.
2: Well, yeah, in, in those big questions that are endless and have been around forever and probably will never leave us because there may never be a concrete answer of what happens to us after we die.
3: Right, right. Exactly. We do, however, know the oldest universally agreed recorded religion. We, we have been able to get a ballpark sense of where and when that began.
2: Oh, yeah, sure. So the the oldest recorded religion goes all the way back to Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the practices that we know about from here likely began as the worship of some kind of natural forces, as Ben was speaking about earlier, seeking some you know, supernatural intercession for crops. I mean, making sure that we have enough food to feed all the humans that are around us as well as feed the animals Mm -hmm. that we need to sustain our lives. And also, you know, trying to avoid some kind of natural disaster that exists within their part of the world, say a tornado or uh, flooding or something to that effect. And, you know, when you're thinking – when you're thinking about the Mesopotamians and what what their beliefs were back then, you have to first start with knowing that they were polytheistic, meaning they they worshipped several major gods and then numerous, well, thousands at least, of minor gods.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Each Mesopotamian city, whether Sumerian, Akkadian, Babylonian, Assyrian, and so on, they not only had the universally recognized pantheon, of Mesopotamian gods, they also had their own patron god or goddess. So for, uh, for a good analog of this, if you're familiar with U.S. cities, imagine just for the sake of argument, the entire country had the same polytheistic religion. But in addition to the, the pantheon that everybody in the country agreed upon— each city had its own specific god, a god for Los Angeles, a god for Chicago. A like god, a patron god or right, something. Right, right. A god for, I don't know, Spokane or Syracuse, you know? that That's the sort of environment in which these people lived. And each Mesopotamian era or culture had different aspects, expressions, or interpretations of the gods. This is something we see again in, in Greco-Roman culture. For instance— Marduk, god of Babylon, for example, was also known in Sumer, but he was Inki or Ia. This practice, this kind of complicated cultural exchange, had its heyday from around 3500 BCE, where we see the Kish tablet, to about 400 AD. At that point, this pre-existing religion uh, began to be supplanted by Syriac Christianity. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the way it gets supplanted is not always the most peaceful thing <laughs> or method. Yeah. Um but it is important to note that this kind of transitioning, uh, if you're living in one space, one area, the transitioning of religion as some overlay with that area, it's not rare. It's pretty dang common. Mm-hmm. And most often, like we were saying, it's not it's not as though they it's an on off switch, right? With let's say if Buddhism moves into an area, mm-hmm. it doesn't just turn over to Buddhism. That's kind of obvious, but in our minds sometimes we we separate things like that just to make it easier.
0: Sure. right But
2: this is a one giant crossfade that that occurs when an area is transitioning from one one religion to the next. And sometimes that belief system uh ends up morphing and becoming something new when mm-hmm. it's
3: two or more combining, right? Yeah, like a brand new package, same great taste, you know, if you were buying religions at a grocery store.
2: Or maybe um, same rough package, but the taste is got a little
3: extra spice to it. There we go. There we go. Uh, with new ingredients. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's a more apt comparison that you've just made. And this goes to a larger point. It's something that I think escapes a lot of us. It definitely escaped me when I was a kid in history class or, you know, reading various uh, dusty tomes. Because of the huge, huge uh, disparity between the average human lifespan and the length of time that it takes a global or large spread systemic change to occur, because of that disparity, we have a terrible – on the ground perspective of what history is, how it's happening, it is so incredibly rare to be a person or people who can look around in the present day, whenever that is, and say, oh, this, this is a huge event in history. Uh, we can do it now. I hate to quote Fox News here, but now more than ever, we can be aware of those moments because we can communicate on a global scale so quickly, right? People around the world watched the moon landing and everybody kind of got it was a big deal. You know what I mean? But 400, 500, 600 years ago, much – you know, not not to mention even further back – if you were living in a town, you would see the change of history or you would see the tide of history turn on a slower intergenerational axis. Maybe you were raised, for instance, a Christian, but your, uh, your older relatives – who maybe said they were also Christian, still had a lot of practices and beliefs that were veneration of ancestors or uh, worship of a polytheistic assemblage of gods. And so for you, that would be the reality. That would be how things always were, and then you would die, and then your children or your offspring or younger people in your area, uh, if the Christian religion was on the rise— they would always be Christians, but maybe they would still have a couple of traditions that they didn't really understand. You just always did that because grandma did it. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, uh, you can, I mean,
2: just because we mentioned my wife earlier, I would say that there's a lot of that that exists within her families, uh, you know, the varying branches of mm-hmm. her family as, you know, Santeria and things like that make their way into Catholicism as some of those uh, older traditions morph into uh Things that you would do for the the church, essentially, uh, it's it's fascinating.
3: And a little bit of foreshadowing here, I like that, Matt, because this means that some of these practices had to continue in secret. They became conspiratorial uh, due to the repressive policies of the dominant state governments or religions, which usually were hand in hand and inseparable, right? God is the king, and so on. Somehow, plucky little tykes that we are, humanity manages to survive this very strange cyclical practice, this battle of ideas and ideology, and it leads us to. Today, So, what is the state of religion today as far as we understand it? We have some statistics and we have some inspiring news. It turns out that several very ancient religions have survived this strange cycle, this strange war of ideas, uh, and we'll explore them in depth after a word from our sponsors.
2: Terminix
3: it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
2: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
1: $25 each. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
2: Yes, we're back. And as we were saying, some of these quieter religions have survived in the corners of the world, in places where you may not expect to find them. And uh, we're going to talk as well about some of the oldest existing religions. We're going to jump into a lot of statistics, as you mentioned right now, about what our religious world looks like today.
3: Right. So according to all official sources and even to um, anecdotal stories you can find in oral traditions, many ancient religions have more or less completely died out. They were supplanted by a newer spiritual rival or they were, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Matt, in our grocery store analogy, they were absorbed into a more popular system. It's, it's interesting too when you listen to or you read transcriptions of uh, oral retellings and folk tales, because religious wars are sometimes depicted not as arguments over ideology or spiritual values; they're depicted as wars of survival and attrition against strange people. Right, like when we did our episode on the uh, the people of the Settakha right in, oh yeah in north america or what's now called north america they the the antagonistic people the so-called giants siteka were not depicted as people who had a a different lifestyle or a rich spiritual culture they were just a rival group competing for resources and then later this kind of stuff Gets um, gets airbrushed, gets the made for TV treatment, and then some. Some other community leader comes along and says, "Oh no, 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 no! I mean, the war wasn't really about fresh water or grazing land. It was that uh, our God told us to do it, and that's why we did the right thing." Yeah, Mara
2: Took told us to go over here. Mm-hmm. We 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 Babylonians took over all of this land because he we were told to.
3: Right, right. And I love that you point this out because the rule is usually that religions will die or be absorbed into a different model over time. You will not, for example, find a ton of at least publicly accessible temples and churches dedicated to worshiping Marduk or or Marduk or Marduk. Yeah, exactly. You will, however— find that despite that, despite that unpleasant fact, that many religions of ancient, ancient times have enormous staying power even today. People will usually say that the oldest known existing religion, extant religion, is Hinduism. It originated in the Indus River Valley, part of modern-day Pakistan. Sometime around 2500 BCE or possibly earlier, And just to stop on that point for a second, it's a little bit difficult to pinpoint the origin of Hinduism because unlike some other religions, it doesn't have a particular founder that one can point to. There's no Ahura Mazda, no Moses, Abraham, Jesus, and so on. It also doesn't have a single text, a a Bible, a Torah, a Quran, And this leads scholars to conclude that what we call Hinduism today is an amalgamation of a great number of pre-existing traditions and beliefs. The question then becomes, how far back do those traditions and beliefs date? Yes. Right? Is, it, is it 5,000 years? Is this a situation where some of these these beliefs and practices predate the written word? Yeah, does it go back to the Viamanas and back to the stars? Right? Like this is, this is a thing that people probably drop acid and talk about all the time. <laughs> but, but as far as proving that, it's very difficult. So we, ju- we just know that at some point around at least 2,500 BCE, these things all came together into what we call Hinduism. Uh, the oldest script – Uh, is the Rig Veda, also believed to be ancient, thousands and thousands of years old. And the next oldest religion that is still around today is Judaism. That's correct. I would like to say that
2: uh, Hinduism um, did something very smart. In keeping or having staying power with their religion because they invented reincarnation, which meant <laughs> that everybody who's ever worshipped Hinduism made it back here somehow. Discovered, some please. <laughs> discovered. And that, of course, is is a joke. I do not mean to insult anyone's beliefs. Okay. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. The next oldest would be Judaism because that um, – it originates in the southern Levant. We talked about that area before, mm-hmm. and it was founded by the biblical Moses, that a lot of us do know. But the Jewish history traces it back to earlier than Abraham, and the most important religious text here was the Torah, of course, and still is the Torah, and it's part of a larger work. Uh,
3: uh, what is it called? The ta- uh, Tanakh or the yeah, the Hebrew Bible? You'll hear it called as well. And this is this is interesting because, similar to Hinduism, you know, there's that there's this official founding, right, or this uh, this, this official this is Judaism, yeah. kind of moment. But uh, but but Jewish history traces back before that, right? Yes, as, exactly. As as a people, and there's a lot of historical work done there. And then uh, let's say the third ancient oldest extant religion. Zoroastrianism, originating in Persia, modern-day Iran, around 1500 BCE. All three of these religions still have adherents today. Of the three, Zoroastrianism is probably the smallest as an estimated 200,000 followers around the world. Yeah, by far. Right. And it's important to state that there are uh, a a couple of – a couple of issues with with the with calling those three the oldest extant religions but we'll get to them in a second let's look at the largest religions today we pulled some numbers from a couple of places including the pew research foundation and the pew research foundation along with some other folks broke it down this way and he said the largest religion in the world today is Christianity, at an estimated two point three billion followers. And then Islam comes in at number two with one point eight billion people. Hinduism, still at it, uh, quite successful. One point one billion people. Then
2: Buddhism comes in at about half a billion.
3: And then let's let's group a bunch of other religions together into what's called folk religions. So that would be point four billion. Which I feel is a little bit of a cop out, but there, there's another group we skipped over, which is if we included this, this would be the third largest. Religion. Mm -hmm. 1.2 billion people in the world consider themselves unaffiliated with any particular belief system. And in many places on earth, this group seems to be on the rise. Okay, we tease some issues with these numbers. Here's the problem. These numbers are tricky and in no small way misleading because anybody who practices one of the faiths mentioned at any part in the show up to now is saying, hey— they're lumping in a lot of really different things together, different offshoots, denominations, and so on. And some of these, like the various flavors of um, Protestant Christianity, would would seem to have a lot in common, right? But like, not necessarily. Not necessarily, right. They're still Are they still different enough that they would, you know, some of them would rather not be... Uh, lumped in together with all these other people who got, in their opinion, Christianity wrong. Mm -hmm. And then other groups like Shia or Sunni uh, Islam practitioners are more or less bitterly opposed and would not, as a result, be particularly thrilled to be lumped into a category either. They would say, no, we are different because we have the line of the prophet correct. And these people not only got it wrong, but refused to see the light. So do not include us with them. And then, yeah. you know, if pushed to the point, they'd probably still be like, well, they're still Muslims. So they got that part right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they're still like not as bad as an apostate or not as bad as a non-Muslim, but still it's important. We're different. Why are you calling us the same?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, in a lot of – a lot of this goes back to those people that we mentioned there are unaffiliated in any way with some kind of religion. And that goes right back or the rise in that number goes back to the secular thinking that exists in our world now and has always existed. But, but again, it's, it's morphed a little over time as science continues to improve, as technology improves, as the need for explaining a lot of these things morphs for mm-hmm. us because we're kind of replacing a lot of that with these little um black boxes in our hands that we carry around it's it's so odd the way these big questions kind of get get uh not answered sufficiently, but they feel like they're maybe not as important. Or they get reframed. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
3: And that leads us to the rise of the secular mind, those 1.2 billion people you're mentioning. Mm -hmm. So this is weird because it's a real-time, real-world example of what we're talking about uh, when we, what did you call it, Matt? When we look at that gigantic crossfade yeah. Of, of one belief system to another. And here's a great example of it. There's this funny, tragicomic practice that occurs around times of political or social strife in countries across the world. Many, many countries do this. It's not just the U.S., although perhaps we have the most clownish reputation for it. Here's what happens. Something's going wrong. Domestically, abroad, times are tough. Uh, politicians and spiritual figures... When seeking a boost in approval ratings or a way to distract the population from uh, genuine physical problems and concerns, we'll start railing about human beings turning away from the true path, whatever that true path might be. And the argument goes that there's this lack of religious faith. And that's the real cause at the root of whatever problems are currently being encountered. The economy's bad. Well, people have turned their back on God, and that—not uh, you know—the Fed rate or uh, rising corporatocracy—that explains it. And,
2: and it doesn't yeah. it remind you of the crops are really bad this season. We haven't been sacrificing enough. Mm-hmm. We need to continue the sacrifices,
3: right? And, and there's another. A darker side of this, too, where they may say the lack of faith is not only the reason for something going wrong, it is a sin. And this sin may only be, um, we may only be redeemed through a specific set of actions. In the past, one of the go-to actions has been waging war on a community nearby adjacent to you in the next valley over the pass or so on. And in Th- order
2: to save them from the terrible things happening under the rule of whatever king or religion exists over there. Whatever
3: right? infernal, unclean pagan God, right? Yeah. So we have to we have to uh, kill these people to save their souls, which sounds crazy when we put it into one sentence. But we guarantee you that is one hundred percent real logic that has been deployed countless times. Yeah. One great example of this. I know we're getting we're getting kind of bleak here. Yeah. So so let's maybe do a comparatively benign example. This is one that um, you and and. Mission Control and I all grew up with here in the U.S., and you probably heard this too at some point. The good old Christmas debate gets mm. rolled out, rolled out every every few years in the United States, and you know this one. Christmas season starts, and then a, a politician or maybe a Christian um, spiritual figure of some sort or another goes on the media and decries the horrific practice of saying happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. Woe unto you, they imply, for this country has lost its way, and this small phrase is a tiny reflection of everything going to absolute hell in a handbasket unless you do what I, <clears throat> I mean God, tells you to do, right? Yeah. And it goes further than that. You'll hear the argument that secular values are, in and of themselves, religions, right? There there are people who are like, you have to watch out for the rise of secular humanity. The idea of being good without God is tricking you. It's a front for a different thing. It's still a religion. It's insidious. It's sinister. And that's how they get you. For
2: more on this, listen to our episode on the origins of Christmas. And also watch our video because it really, really – brings the holiday cheer when you start learning about what it actually is.
3: And again, this is not in any way to denigrate people's faith. No. This is this is a way that cynical very cynical people manipulate innocent people who probably just want the same things as everyone else listening, right? You want to feel like you're very good at stuff. You want to feel like you are comfortable with the world around you and your place in it. You want to love and be loved. That's not that hard. Everybody deserves that. But we're also very susceptible to someone trying to play to our fears for their own benefit. Yeah. It works with me more often than not, unfortunately. Um,
2: But it does go even further. It doesn't stop there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, all of these estimates, these definitions, these historical milestones, they all rely entirely upon our understanding of revealed public religions. Revealed religion would be religion based on divine revelation, right? God took some form and told us how to stop screwing up so bad. One <laughs> told mm-hmm. us, you know, how to live better, how to how to do the right thing with our collective life. So we're basing everything up to this point on religions that we know exist. And the question is, what if there is more to this story? What if there are religions and belief systems that don't, like Islam or Christianity, ask their adherents to advertise the faith? What if there are religions that don't want to convert a bunch of new followers? What if there are secret religions and what if they exist in the modern day?
2: And we'll talk about that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Terminix
3: it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
2: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
1: $25 each.
2: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's
1: livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
2: Here's where it gets crazy. Well, the the easy answer here is yes. Oddly enough, and it could be argued that, you know, by the the virtue of these things being secret, and this is crazy, I know. Um, these religions are in and of themselves in some way a conspiracy just by the fact that there are groups of people who've been trying to hide them and working together in secret to keep them secret.
3: Yeah, it's sort of the church of shh. <laughs> so – Yes, we're entering a realm of strange and possibly disturbing speculation here. Let's start with the most easily provable cases. We'll move to the plausible, and then we'll hit that deep water for a 2nd you We'll see what we mean in a moment. No Cthulhu, I promise.
2: Yeah, and we'll also talk about, in a few of these cases, how that crossfade is occurring, and you can kind of see it in Mm -hmm. these specific religions.
3: Yes, yes. So, first off, real proven secret religions— the mystery schools. Oh, yes. These are some of the most famous. So the Greco-Roman world was no stranger to secret religions. These were specifically referred to as mystery religions. It sounds sinister.
2: Mystery school, mystery religion, mm. like there's something really wrong going there
3: or it's, it's bad. Yeah. But a lot of times it's just mysterious, y'all. <laughs> it's just it's, – it's not for you unless you're on the inside, right? Unless you're connected. <laughs> exactly. These practices originate in pre-existing tribal ceremonies. These were performed by people all throughout the world. And a lot of these practices were things that we could maybe see or encounter analogs of or descendants of today, but we, we don't know exactly what they did. A lot of that will be lost to history. In the tribal communities where these practices originate, Every member of the community, the clan or the village was initiated and then, you know, they were brought in to become a member of this school or this belief system. But in Greece, initiation became a matter of personal choice, meaning that the people who would induct you, they could decide whether or not – you didn't automatically deserve to be inducted and you didn't automatically have to. You could say no. It might be very politically – or even physically dangerous for you, but you could say no absolutely
2: and uh you know several of these mystery religions reached the the highest levels of their popularity within the first three centuries a d but again, the origin of of a lot of these goes back to much earlier centuries in Greek history. And a lot of these mystery religions, as little as we actually do know about them, we, we do know that they had things in common. A lot of these were, you know, meals that would be eaten together with people who were like-minded or believed the same things. Um, there would be some form of physical movement that venerated some thing, right? A dance of some kind and other ceremonies like that. And there would a lot of times be or probably the most important let's say, Mm -hmm. would be the initiation rites that occur for every new member that joins officially into the group.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And examples of these mystery religions, we we have a few, even if we don't know a ton about their specific practices. We have followers of Dionysus, right? We had the Eleusinian Mysteries. These were the earliest and most famous of the mystery cults. Again, I know the C word, but that's what they were often called.
2: Well, yeah, and a lot of times it was the extreme or this is just my opinion here, but a lot of it tended to be the extreme worship of one or, you know, one or two or maybe just one of the gods that are worshipped within the pantheon of the Greek gods. Mm. You would have a specific cult of Mithra or a cult of this or cult of that. right? Um, and that, those kind of end up becoming – Many of the mystery religions,
3: right? Yeah, and this this one group we're talking about they lasted for over a thousand years. Again, a thousand years of which we are aware. Yeah, so we don't know what else was going on. And there's something else that's fascinating about this. So at this time, there wasn't really a separation between a a a secret cult or a mystery school and a secular secret society. There, You know, a bunch of people maybe in Turkey want to start a society with closed-door meetings to form a, a better fire brigade, right, in ancient times. That's a true story. In the suspicious eyes of leaders at the time, both these secular interest groups and these religiously motivated groups were dangerous because they had the possibility of becoming avenues for conspiracy and revolution. And thus— these groups, whenever possible, were subverted, exterminated, or if it was expedient to do so, they would be, you know, they would have public officials join them. Yeah. And these kind of societies still still carry on. The big question is whether or not they still have claws and fangs or if they're just kind of old boys clubs, right?
2: Yeah, and what you're talking about there, having an official join one of these secret groups, it's an attempt to either absorb it into another uh, of the larger religious uh, systems probably and or just uh, making it not so strange to then allow those people You know, again, it's strategic if you're thinking about it this way to bring it into the fold. And that's where we get into that thing we discussed earlier, religious syncretism, where that crossfade, where we're right in the middle of it, where, where one becomes another. One plus one equals three. it's 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 interesting
3: stuff that's a good way to say it, Matt. Yeah, this is the blending of two or more religious belief systems into what essentially becomes a whole new system, one plus one equals three, or the incorporation of unrelated beliefs into an existing religious tradition. This can occur for a lot of reasons. It commonly happens obviously in Geographic areas where multiple religions exist close together and at once and they're active in the culture. Or, and this is the dirty side, is where you find a lot of the more extreme examples, when a culture is conquered and the conquerors don't just bring weapons, they also bring their religious beliefs. Convert or die, right? Or convert and physically die, but don't worry, we're saving your soul and you can be <laughs> a slave forever in our paradise, right? Oh, for sure. True story, unfortunately. Uh, at least that was the pitch. So the thing, the thing that's weird about this is that unless the unless the culture being attacked is entirely eradicated, their pre existing beliefs and practices will continue on. And then we end up with things like um, we end up with things like Gnosticism. Or we yeah. end up with things like offshoots earlier forms of existing religions.
2: Yeah, and just something a little morphed like Greco Buddhism mm-hmm. or um Oh, what what is the name of the other one? Oh, Nestorians, mm-hmm. as Christianity was moving into China. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things there to talk about. That are it's less stuff they don't want you to know, but it's 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 more stuff you miss in history class. But again, it's
3: fascinating, and it's interesting too because I I, I would argue that there is a lot of stuff they don't want you to know in aspects of religious syncretism because. Religious syncretism can also exist in a very powerful form as coded protest. And this is evidenced by the practices of repressed native peoples under the thumb of colonizers or imperialists. Uh, One example, which I believe we mentioned on the show before, is the idea of folk saints. So I didn't really know about folk saints until I had spent some time in Central America and I made friends with one. Uh, a Mayan deity who was called San Simon when I encountered his worshipers or his admirers. San Simon originally started life as a, started his, whatever the deity version of life is. Uh, San Simon was originally a mountain god in the Maya religion, and he was also known as Mashimon. Today, he's considered the patron saint of health, crops, marriage, business, revenge, and death. I know. It's kind of a weird.
2: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's a
3: weird group, right? When you're saying patron saint, do you mean
2: like in Catholicism? Like he he is a saint or is it?
3: Ah, yes. Okay, so folk saints are people venerated or deities venerated as saints. But not officially canonized, so okay not recognized by the church. See what what we see here is a process of taking a pre-existing belief and saying, "Okay, yes, yeah, saints, we get it. We already have those. You know what I mean? Yeah, thanks. But no, thanks. Saints, but no saints. Da-da, da-da, oh, da-da. Nah,
2: <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> or at least we can add a few more to the roster.
3: Right. And another example of religious syncretism as a form of protest would be uh, the way that voodoo in Benin or Voodoo in Haiti or however you wish to pronounce it, uh, had to confront and adapt with Catholicism. Yeah. Right? And so we have – I and mean, that's where you get Santeria. hmm Or Candelble, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is where the brutal Catholic forces would think that they had successfully converted the people, but the people were just using that Catholic imagery to uh be a stand-in for their original practices, which they didn't you know, didn't really have an intention of changing because if you want to change someone's mind, one of the worst ways to do it is to threaten them.
2: Yeah, but if you did take it on in that way, you could at least appease the colonizers when in close quarters.
3: Right. Uh, we'd love to hear your examples of religious syncretism. Right? This, is, this is a widespread phenomenon. Uh, we know that a lot of ancient belief systems – in smaller communities, may may be practiced. Yeah. still today, uh, having been I don't want to say contaminated or adulterated, but having been influenced by different uh, different religions that some they somehow encountered.
2: Yeah, I, I would have to say just really fast as a mention here. Today is the first time, and I don't know how this occurred. The first time that I realized that it was Greek influence that gives us depictions of a human Buddha Ooh. within Buddhism. I did not realize that at all. But it's be, it's because of trade routes that existed and uh, just the influence of uh, people from Greece who, you know, had certain religious beliefs who then as they move forward and are continuing on encounter Buddhism, they enjoy, you know, they believe that let's say, more than they believe their other original traditional beliefs. Then they start to follow Buddhism. And as they're thinking about Buddha, they, rather than seeing it symbolically, the way it's been represented for hundreds and hundreds of years, they truly imagine Buddha as the man, as this human being, Mm -hmm. you know, son of a virgin woman. Mm -hmm. And they begin using their culture, that exists within them and the way they view art, the way they think about these things, and they apply it to Buddha. And that was fascinating to me. I know it was a long-winded way to no, say just right. like the statues that in
3: my mind are of Buddha are really Greek. Yeah, or at the very least heavily, heavily influenced. Right? Yes, exactly. By, by, by that frame. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a word for that, right, Matt? Yes, vocabulary word of the day, everyone. Interpretatio
2: Greca. And that just means... Essentially interpreting the world by, by – or well, really through Greek eyes or by Greek means.
3: And these are just some of the numerous examples. Please, please, please let us know other examples you've seen. This stuff is endlessly fascinating.
2: Yeah, and it's really just interpreting all of the other religions, the gods, all the things that that people from – you know, uh, from that time, from that early civilization,
3: as they're encountering these other things, how they view them. And it's strange because when you think about it, religious syncretism could, at its best, be a very inclusive approach to belief. There are other things that are very much not syncretic, or at least no longer are. There are religions that are entirely dictated by lineage. These are, in short, clubs you cannot join. If you are most of the people who will ever listen to this show, you cannot join some religions. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are, how helpful, how noble, etc., you just didn't have a chance since the day you were born because of who your parents were. One great example of this— Uh, with which I have some personal experience, is a group called the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E. The Druze are a unique people and belief system who originated in Egypt but have spread across the world uh, with a lot of concentrations in Lebanon, Syria, Israel, and Jordan. The religion's membership is predicated on these certain lineages, and this means that one cannot convert to this religion one cannot become a druze they also practice a form of religious syncretism in a way i'm interested to hear what you think about this to avoid persecution especially in very religiously conservative areas they would publicly adopt a religion if they had to but they would continue to practice their own real belief system in secret Uh, Drew's religion is seen as an outgrowth of Islam that incorporates elements of Judaism, Christianity, but it's different from all of those religions. Greek philosophy—here you go, Matt—and what people have described as problematically as Asiatic thought heavily influenced the foundation of the religion. And they had some ideas and still have some ideas that were pretty out there. They were pretty hot takes for their time. They said we should get rid of slavery— which used to be a very hot take and sadly in some parts of the Middle East is still a hot take today. Uh, They said we should separate church and state. Again, still a hot take Uh, and this put them at very high risk of persecution in more uh, conservative areas. If you are not a Druze, you will not be privy to various rights and practices because again, it's not for you. That does inherently make it, at least some degree, a secret religion. It doesn't mean they're sinister. doesn't mean they're out to get anyone. Uh, and I actually, through marriage, am related uh, to several Druze. Wow. Yeah. Well, I am not a Druze, to be very clear, uh, and I never will be because of the way the religion is organized on a socio cultural, even biological level. Well,
2: have you 23 and me or ancestried yourself? Hmm. Because maybe you are, Drews. Because it'd be hard to fight against
3: if you did. I don't if know. You if, did a test. I don't know if it works that way. And it's also kind of, you know, people's beliefs are important to them. And do I don't want to be one of those. Actually, people. I'm a two percent druze. Right, right. So let me two percent in. You know what I mean? I I think that's kind of disrespectful. You know, I mean, even for me, even to talk about it in this way that I am. Apologies. No, no, no. I, I think as long as we are respecting uh, the boundaries that uh, that a group has set, absolutely, that's the best we can do. There are other similar cases of that. Oh but, yeah.
2: The- Sorry, I wanted to bring this up earlier when mm-hmm. we were talking about this. Secret religions, yes, our episode on on worshiping Satan, the devil, Lucifer, anything like that. We've talked about it in a whole episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are they actually real? Anyone who worships some version of that? And there is there is one group of people that we've mentioned before, I believe, on this show that you had talked to me about. They're called the Yazidi.
3: Yes, a little bit uh, Luciferian, mm-hmm. one might say, because of the the differences in doctrine here, which w- will be very brief. We could delve into that in a separate episode. Okay. Uh, they've been vilified before as, quote-unquote, uh, devil worshippers. And that's entirely because non-Yazidi populations have associated this Melek Taos character with uh, Shaitan. The Islamic or Arab name for Satan. Yazidis for themselves find that offensive, and and don't clearly clearly don't agree. There's not, as far as we know, a community of people who says yes. There is a divine good God, and we're with the bad one. Yeah. There's nobody. There's there's not yet a provable community of people who are at that level of edge lordism. Uh, I think most, most communities generally tend to be a little more well-adjusted than that. But it is plausible. I would say it's more likely than not uh, that many local religions have existed for a long time and exist today more or less unknown to outsiders. Let's call these like insular community systems or insular tribal religions. And I thought you would appreciate this one, Matt. And let's just go to an extreme example. What are the spiritual beliefs of the people on North Sentinel Island? How would we know that? We don't. Right? This belligerent community, Google it if you have, if you somehow have not heard of this, is a fascinating story that Matt and I have been tracking for, God, since 2013 or so. Uh, We learned about it in 2012. For thousands of years, the people on this island have been on their own since around the Stone Age— they likely have a religion, because again, humans are hardwired to generate and propagate these sorts of belief systems. But their religion has been so far removed from any other belief system on the planet, they have not encountered some form of religious syncretism, right? Oh, you're oh wow, so it's in, pure. Yeah, so in a way, uh, this may be like one of the oldest un. Uh, I don't want to say adulterated again, but like one of the oldest (laughs) unmix-taped religions, you know. And also, just like the Druze, you and I and everybody listening probably cannot join them. They, In their few encounters with the outside world in modern history, they have made that abundantly clear. And the only time that they've been successfully – members of that community have been successfully taken out of the community, it was disastrous – uh, and it's no wonder that they double down on on putting a big keep out sign to the rest of the planet. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, that's a real world example. What if we wanted to go down the, the rabbit hole a little bit further? What if we get to something – That maybe isn't even necessarily a religion. Mm -hmm. It's maybe closer to a society, but it does have religious belief perhaps built
3: into it. Whatever could you be talking about? The Illuminati. That's right. That's right. Fellow conspiracy realists, you know them, you love them, you expected them to show up here in this episode, and you were right. Uh, So congratulations for hundreds of years. There have been rumors uh, that have— If we're being diplomatic, varying levels of credibility, arguing that the world is actually run by a group of incredibly powerful people, that they are all real pills, but somehow they cooperate together and they have their own secret religion. They profess one religion publicly, but they practice this other religion that is meant for the elite and the elite alone. And you'll hear various fringe uh, researchers, or I would say fringe speculators, saying that you know they secretly continue uh, the ancient mystery schools, right, or some Mesopotamian polytheistic religion, and that they consider things like Christianity or or uh, Buddhism or any, any younger religions tools to control the masses, manipulation systems for slaves. Yeah, and. There's no lack of let's, – let's say this again in a diplomatic but accurate way. There's no lack of people claiming to have evidence that this is true.
2: Yeah. All I would say, Ben, is that the answers to our questions about the Illuminati all exist on a stone castle – on the top of a hill with a man who is known only as the songwriter. Mm-hmm. And if you seek under the silver lake, you may find him. Are you talking about Philip K. Dick?
3: No. What is this?
2: It's one of the first times I've ever been able to reference something without you know what I'm knowing what I'm talking about. So I'm really, really happy about it. And I'm gonna wait for you to learn about what it is when people write to us
3: Interesting yeah okay cuz at first I was thinking man the high castle but maybe I've just been oh, I'm so excited switched because yeah maybe I'm I'm yeah am It's
2: obscure I promise you it's obscure oh, yeah. and uh Is it cool? It's really
3: cool. Does the reference work?
2: Um I don't know but we'll just have they to They were great. Yeah, I think uh, I think
3: it's cool. Oh, thank you man. I'm excited. Nintendo power is involved as well. Is this Castlevania? No, <laughs> God, I'm way off. I think hearing castle this, is just throwing me. It's actually not too but, far off, but it is a video game. Uh, no, it's not a video game. No. Wow. Yes. There's a mystery of foot. Uh, how appropriate for this episode. So <laughs> while I'm caught shading on this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm flummoxed. I'm I'm stumped. Uh, we know that there are. Different, um, different things that are purported to be evidence of an existence of a, a sinister secret uh, religion practiced by some relatively anonymous cabal of people, right? Yeah. And some of these things are real. The Bohemian Grove does have this ritual called the cremation of care. Wherein they ritualistically burn an effigy and they get really weird about it. It seems to be a rich boys' club, but for people who believe that there is a secret religion in play, this is a smoking gun. Yes. Or I should say, a, a smoking effigy.
2: Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're correct. That's what it is for those people. It's, it's tough though, um, to, cause we can't really, we can't fully prove anything like that you know is it truly religious belief just because they you know do something if someone participates in something like the cremation of Kara ritual right right, does it mean that they actually believe a whole separate set of beliefs and that they're all working together for some goal that's why it's so difficult for us to really explore something like the Illuminati Mm. because we know there's that real thing called the Bavarian Illuminati that we've talked about
3: numerous times yeah yeah
2: but like Right now, I mean, if someone is in a secret religion like that, uh-huh. they're not gonna. Nobody's gonna talk to me or
3: you. Well, they might. You they can. might talk to. They might talk to. They you. might talk to. They might talk to all of us. They you know might what? Speak only to Paul. We
2: need to get Dan Harmon on the case because they'll definitely talk to him.
3: They'll like strike <laughs> up a conversation. You know, yeah. something Rick said, and then he's in. There's you know, a the problem though, Matt. If something like that existed, and if it was that powerful, then why would we be able to talk about it so openly and so easily you know what i mean yeah because we we did a what three part series on on the so called illuminati and i think we did i think we did a pretty good job of of separating some facts from mm-hmm. some fiction and fancy there but Again, that's, that's the biggest argument. If, if it were something that existed, it were dangerous, it were a potent force in the world, then why? It's a, okay, it's kind of like the Ouija board argument. If there is a way to reliably contact the afterlife, if, if, we, if we say that people, some part of us exist after the corporeal body no longer functions, then would the way to contact the afterlife really be a mass-produced board game by Parker Brothers has has is that po- has is it possible that just ghosts are real and they're like why is no one taking this Ouija board thing seriously it's our one chance to talk to you it just it doesn't match up you know and I don't mean to I don't mean to sound dismissive of that I'm just saying that if the if there is some secret evil religion and if it's real then I, I don't understand why they haven't reached out to us or, you know, done something. I know maybe I'm whistling in the graveyard or maybe I'm uh may, maybe I'm I'm not daring anybody to do anything crazy. Yes. I'm just saying it's that's that's one of the biggest pieces of evidence against that stuff existing. That doesn't prove it doesn't exist. The same thing with evil religions, the ideas of secret Satanists, which you already mentioned, but it does this all leads us to one concrete answer. This is one of those episodes where we do have an answer. The answer is yes, secret religions do exist. They do exist today to one degree or another. They may not be exactly what we're thinking of or what fiction wants us to believe. But yes, there are secret rituals and practices and there are are value systems. If we define secret as things that not everybody has access to, then yeah, of course those exist, and they probably will exist. The only question then is how much or how little influence do they have on the world in which we live today? Does, yeah. does, does it matter to you? Are you, are, are you going to be resentful of people who have their own belief system if it doesn't affect you? Just I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a tough thing to deal with as humans, but, you know, some things are just not for you. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, the biggest question for today, after
2: everything we've talked about, is how much did some tiny secret religion with, you know, a small group of people practiced and believed, how much did that secret religion influence whatever your religious beliefs are right now? And, mm. you know, if you if you follow one of the larger uh, movements and traditions and religions today, how much did a lot of these smaller secretive religions back in the day Change yours.
3: That's a great question, and I'd also like to say, um, and just to to build on that, that faith, as we understand it, regardless what your specific spiritual belief system or religious belief may be, faith is a uniquely human superpower. We don't have a, a very good definition of what intelligence is. We are. Closer and closer, like the more we learn about intelligence and these amazing baffling machines we call the brain, the the more we learn that we have a lot in common with animals that we used to think were not super intelligent, like corvids, and elephants, cetaceans, and so on. But the one thing that still differentiates us is this ability to imagine an unseen world, you know? And, and I'm using unseen because I don't want to say... You know, for some people in our audience today, some of us listening will probably say, I think you mean made up. But I don't want to say made up. I want to say unseen because I know this is a very personal, very real thing for a lot of people.
2: Well, yeah. The concepts of parallel dimensions are certainly not unscientific, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, or at least within the thought of these things. And anything that you would compare to a a heaven, a hell, whatever you want to call it, a a purgatory, all those things – that would or could be just considered a parallel dimension that exists simultaneously next to ours.
3: There we go. And maybe a good way to phrase it is as is, is a series of questions. Do elephants have gods? Do corvids have gods? Do dolphins have gods? The answer, as far as we know, is no. From everything we have seen, there is one flavor of life in this planet and therefore the entirety of our experience that has the capacity to pursue this sort of mental system. And it's us. This is, you know, I got to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. We're the only living things that can do this. And regardless of how we may feel on individual levels, about individual examples of this, we have to sit back and admit that is astonishing. I don't know where else to go with this. You know what I mean? Is a a world without this kind of capability better? I would argue no because that same kind of – I almost said chutzpah. But that, that same kind of ability is what drives us toward these innovations that, again, no other living creature has been able to do yet so far as we know.
2: Absolutely. So go ahead and if, write to us if you have any thoughts on any of this stuff. We'd love to know what you think. You can find us on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show, Twitter and Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff. You can visit Here's Where It Gets Crazy. That's our, our community page on Facebook where you can have a conversation with everyone else listening mm. uh, who is willing to also go there to uh, talk about all this stuff together. Because I think this could be some pretty ripe
3: uh, conversation, right? Yeah, I agree. And if you would like to speak to us directly and avoid the social meads and ales, uh, you can you can call us. We do have a phone number. We are one eight three three S T D
2: W Y T K. Leave a message. You could get on the air. Let us know if you don't want to be on the air. If it's just personal for Ben, Noel, Paul, and I, and anyone else who may have worked on the show before, looking at you, Seth and Maya. Uh, If you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can leave us a good old-fashioned email. We
3: are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.